Hello and welcome to K Sarah Sarah, the FA Cup podcast which takes you closer to some of the most fascinating stories surrounding the oldest cup competition in football. Yes, it's a Christmas and New Year special, a bit of a bonus episode for you. I did tease it at the end of episode four for those of you who made it that far and here it is. This is being released, of course, between Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. But of course, if you're listening to this a while into the future, that won't matter to you a jot. This point of the year, though, is a time when people love to reflect and reminisce And before Christmas, I had to think about some of my favourite FA Cup memories, kind of thinking about what I could do for this podcast, having kind of promised that I would produce something as a bonus episode. And once I'd come up with a couple of really good memories, I went in search of some interviewees who could explain each one in much better detail than me. So... I've got two great interviews for you. The first interviewee I'd like to introduce is Lincoln City fan, blogger and podcaster Gary Hutchinson, who runs The Stacey West, which is something which, if you're within the imp sphere and beyond that, you might well know. In fact, if you're within the imp's sphere, you will definitely know it, I'm sure. I strongly encourage you to go and check The Stacey West out. But before you do, here's my chat with Gary about, you guessed it, Lincoln City's brilliant run to the FA Cup quarterfinals. Gary, thank you very much for joining me. I've got you on, of course, to talk about Lincoln City and their run to the quarterfinals is something which I think so many football fans in this country and so many followers of the FA Cup will remember really well. But as a Lincoln City fan, I, I wanted to know when kind of when you saw my message or when at, at any point you think back to that season and that run in this competition. What what are the kind of memories, what are the days or moments that immediately come to mind? Um, there's two key moments that immediately come to mind. Uh, the obvious one would be Sean Raggett's goal in the fifth round away at Burnley um, because... I think we were hoping for a draw, take Burnley back to Sinsel Bank, earn some money, and then last minute of the game, you, you're kind of a non-league team winning at a Premier League team. So that that's the that's the big sort of headline moment. But the biggest moment I remember came actually in um, the third round, I believe. Um, I was trying to remember who we played and when, uh, which was Ipswich Town um, at home. Mm-hmm. So we'd been to their place. We'd, we'd taken uh, 5,000 fans to Ipswich. It was the biggest away following that they'd had there since they'd had a friendly with Glasgow Rangers. It, absolutely huge. Got an unbelievable 2-2 draw there. Um, and they had the lad Tom Lawrence playing for him, who was, uh, I think he was on loan from Man United, some Leicester possibly, I don't know. But he was a brilliant, brilliant player. They, sh- they, they should have won 2-2. We've gone back to Central Bank. You think, well, oh, we've got our replay. That's good enough. And then in the last minute, with the last kick of the game, it was just utterly phenomenal moment ironically um it came from a free kick that a defender won deliberately trying to get booked uh, because he had bet on himself to be booked so it, it was kind of yeah it was just this whole mad story but the moment Nathan Arnold scored that last minute goal against Ipswich was will stay with me forever I think that replay the Ipswich one was televised as well wasn't it was, yeah. was it the first televised game of the run so it was it felt kind of as if 
that was when it, everyone else who maybe hadn't been aware of this National League club going on this crazy run, you know, it, it's a replay, so there were probably less games on at the time. I think for me personally, looking back, that is one that I kind of think was the most eye-opening about it. Yeah, now, obviously, I, I can't remember which ones were televised and which ones were not. I seem to think our game against Oldham in the um, second round was televised because it was a... Okay. It was a Monday night and the draw was made just before the game. Um, and obviously mm-hmm. Oldham were League One, we were non-league. So at the time that was our that was the big the, the big game. I think that was televised. We won three two, mm-hmm. we were three nil up at one moment. But I think the Ipswich one is where kind of a more uh, a more broader demographic demographic of people begin to watch because I think at the second round, you know, you've got to be pretty into your football to pick up a League One versus non-league team. You know, people will turn it on. But when it's a championship versus non-league team, it peaks interest a little bit. And uh, yeah, I remember a couple of years before when um Northwich Victoria played Charlton in the FA Cup and we drew they knocked Charlton out, Charlton had just dropped out of the championship. That was big news because it was a non-league team against a, a, a big team. And I know we were on telly against them in the next round um, of, of, of that competition. So I understand what you mean. For us personally, it was the Oldham game started something phenomenal at Lincoln. The Cowleys had only taken over that summer. Um, we, we'd been kind of meandering around in non-league for a while. And actually there was the Oldham game. And then we played Tranmere a couple of weeks later in the league and won 2-1. We were top then at Christmas. So we'd gone on mm-hmm. this little run. Um, but nobody really expected anything beyond the FA Cup third round. That was the achievement. That's the achievement. You're a non-league team. You get to the third round, you get knocked out. Brilliant. We've had a cup run. That was where you thought it ended. And bizarrely, that was then where kind of your national focus switched onto the club. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the stat is Lincoln were the first non-league side in 103 years to reach the quarterfinals. And I remember at the time and, and since then as well, that there was so much talk around the Cowleys, but I, I wanted to ask you, aside from Danny Cowley and his brother, what was it about that Lincoln team of of that period, obviously winning the league as well at the end of it, but what was it about the team that was so special and that enabled them to win so many games in a row and get to that Arsenal quarterfinal? There was a few factors. Um, I think from a fan's point of view, what was so special about the team was actually the the years before of, of kind of just being a non-entity. You know, we'd been relegated from the Football League uh, and then we'd struggled. We'd had managers come and go. Steve Tilson, who was a big name manager, came and went. David Holdsworth came and went. And we then stripped back and started again. A guy called Chris Moises came in, who was just, he was a, a local football manager, a local businessman, and he began the rebuild. But mm-hmm. I think when when Danny and Nicky come in, and it's hard not to reference them as 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 the focal point, as the catalyst, because that that's what they were. And when they came in, obviously it started this this upward trajectory, and suddenly there was belief. And I think when fans believe in players, players then believe in fans. And I think. I think it's really important how um, invested fans get it. And you see it sometimes where, where there's a big movement behind the team. They're often very, very successful. And it's why some of the smaller teams like the Forest Greens and teams like that actually with the money and, and the players that they have should do better. But there isn't that movement. There isn't that passion. There isn't that kind of massive growth. We went from averaging 2,000 fans to, to like six, 7,000 fans just overnight. And I think that the players bought into that. We had a good group of players in terms of talent. Nathan Arnold stands out, obviously, been at Cambridge, been at uh, Mansfield, been at uh, Grimsby Town. I won't spit mm-hmm. when I say that. Um, so a really, really talented footballer. Um, we had committed footballers. 
um, like Matt Reed, for instance, who was every defender's nightmare. Every other football fan hated Matt Reed, um, and and I would have hated him. He was like a Danny Hilton figure. <laughs> you know, you hate him because he does what he does really well. Alex Woodyard went into play in the championship. Sean Raggett went on to sign for um, a, a championship side. Or moved to a champion. No, he moved to Premier League side. I think didn't he move to Norwich City? Norwich and, City, and, yeah, yeah, and then back to Rotherham. So we actually had some really good players. Uh, Sam Habergam, massively underrated, has kind of dropped off the radar a little bit now. But Sam was a left back, played through the pain barrier that season. They were just really, really committed. And even Bradley Wood, okay, so he, he kind of sullied the memory of that season with his actions. You know, he was never pulled out of a tackle. It was always 100%. I won't say 110%. It's one of my pet hates. They, they, they always played for the shirt. Paul Farman in goal, who was um, was just a great character. You identified with them. When we first got through, uh, I think, against Oldham, and people wanted to go away to Ipswich, and we knew we could have five odd thousand tickets, and 10,000 people would have gone to that if we, if we could have got the sold the tickets. And we had this really primitive system where you had to go into the office and buy the ticket. So the queues were two, three hours long, all the way around the stadium. There was an aerial picture that snaked around the stadium. Players would turn up and serve tea to the fans while they were in the queue. I remember Bradley Wood, again, I referenced Bradley, but going down with a with a flask. And so there was just that whole buy-in and, and that's what made it special. And then you throw in the Cowleys who were ahead of their time in terms of the National League. You know, they were they were watching the night we beat um, Ipswich 1-0. I think we had... I think we had Dover a couple of days later. I might be wrong. It might have been Brighton and we had Dover a couple of days later. But everyone went off and celebrated Ipswich. And Danny said he sat down and he watched something like Dover and Bromley that night on the video. It was that kind of relentless work ethic, which started with the managers and then kind of moved down. It was just this perfect storm of everything coming together. Um, and, and all football fans hope that at some point in their history that happens to them but you never think it's going to. And then when it does happen to you, I'll be honest, you get so caught up in it, you don't realise until afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like the FA Cup run was brilliant. I'm talking to you about it now. But the second that we finished, second we beat Burnley, I wasn't thinking, great, we're going into the quarterfinal. I was thinking, we're away at North Ferriby on Tuesday night. If we don't win that, we're going to lose. You know, because the other focus was getting promoted. And arguably, if you said, which one would I prefer, get to the quarterfinals or get promoted out of the National League, would have taken promotion all the time and been the FA Cup off. We could have gone out in the qualifiers against Geisley. So, yeah, it's just a special season. Certainly was. Um, you mentioned there the Cowleys is attention to detail and you know the the connection they built does it surprise you in some ways that they haven't gone on to be a real success in the championship or maybe even further than that because when they left Lincoln for Huddersfield you would have thought that that was kind of it in their thinking or I don't know how the Lincoln fans felt at the time but was that something you thought might have happened whereas it seems to have kind of tailed off for them in recent years? Yeah, 100%. I thought that they were going to go and manage in the Premier League. Um, they, they were that good at Lincoln. Everything they touched turned to gold. Um, they signed players who who would come in and, and they impacted the team. And, and towards the end, that didn't happen as much. Towards the end, they were given a bigger budget and, and there was some transfer misses. But, you know, that season, every player that we signed played a role, played a sign like called Adam Marriott, who was in and out of the team constantly injured, but he popped up with all these crucial goals in the league. And then you've got FA Cup Theo, as we call him, because Theo Robinson only really ever turned up in the FA Cup, but boy, did he turn up. Everything they touched, they were meticulous. They bonded with fans. They created just this, this whole new environment that Lincoln fans hadn't seen since, you know, we never felt that connected since Keith Alexander was the manager. 
and back then that was coming from almost being in administration to going to the playoffs. Stanley and Nicky just did, they were just infectious. Uh, every time you talked to Danny Cowley, I mean, I'm a, a, I'm a, a blogger and I just started blogging at that time. And I remember we went to a charity event and Nicky Cowley came in and he went, I know you, I've never met him, do you? And he's like, yeah, you do the blog, don't you? Shook my hand. And then every time I'd see Danny, he made you feel like you were the most important person. Do you know what I mean? I went away to an FA Trophy game at Gateshead around the time we played Ipswich. And I remember him, I was I was one of about 100. And I remember him pointing and saying, oh, you, you're coming to Ipswich, aren't you? And like, wow, Danny Cowley. I think the problem that he had moving forward was he then went to teams where there was expectation. There was no expectation at Lincoln. There was, but you know, Lincoln City are not a, a, a team that have dropped out of the Premier League and were looking to get back. So mm. when they went to Huddersfield, they, they went against their own mantra. They said they only worked for people. They didn't work for the club. They met Clive Nates. They knew that Lincoln was the right club. And I think if you were to talk to Danny now, he would say Huddersfield probably wasn't. The money was life-changing. And, I, you know, I wouldn't... I, I, I've spoken to Danny since, um, not recently, to be fair. And I, I think there would maybe an element of, you know, we went to set ourselves up for life. We went mm. for the job, not the club. Huddersfield were never a club that were going to get back into the Premier League at that stage, but the fans believed that they needed to. And so that was then, it was more about the kind of, they couldn't get that community spirit going. And I think Portsmouth were either going to be the absolute perfect club where they could like energise this whole fan base, but there was always the danger at a team like Portsmouth that you get three or four bad results. And there's you know, if you've got 14,000 fans, it's a larger percentage of fans that can start getting annoyed or start getting kind of dissident. And, and they've got a great side there now, but they're struggling. You know, I think that yesterday I saw they brought on uh, yesterday or, or as we're recording this, but they, they lost to Milton Keynes 2-0 and they brought on Joe Piggott and they brought on Dane Scarlett. And you think, why aren't those, te- those players playing? It's the wrong type of club. Danny and Nicky need to energise a smaller club. They need to get everybody behind them. There'll still be a success somewhere. I think the Premier League boat has now gone. Um, mm-hmm. I tell you, the sort of club they would be perfect for would be a Rotherham United. You know, that kind of club that, accept that they are a, a certain size mm-hmm. and they can get away with the type of football they played with us because it wasn't always pretty we were I won't swear but we, we were known as a, a team that employed certain tactics every now and again you know we mm-hmm. would the, we, what we call Paul Farman time so he would go down injured on 85 minutes when you were winning 1-0 you know it always used to happen but you need to get that energy and and that's why they were perfect for the cup run because we were the underdog every time and they thrived on being the underdog and of course, we've spoken about um, that season specifically. And it's interesting you mentioned there with the Cowleys, how they were setting themselves up by moving on. But of course, Lincoln as a club, this run specifically would have set them up for so many years. And since being that National League club of 2016-17, you've grown and you've now become established in League One. How, how many years do you think... Um, you know, the, the finances that the club would have got from that Emirates trip, but also the, the winnings from getting through those rounds. How many years do you think that has benefited the Imps? And do you think that there's still a side of that now? Or is that, are, are we too far down the line? The legacy uh, of that 
cup run will always be felt. Um, the money was used the following season to build our training ground. Previously, they were based at the club and they were training on AstroTurf pitches. And I think when Danny and Nicky first came in, we were going up to a local barracks and they had to clear the field, um, whether that was Dan and Nick or whether that was Chris Moises the year before. But they literally had to clear it of brambles so that it was worth playing on. I remember going to watch training in September 2016 and that's where we went. And we had to get a minibus up and all the players drove themselves. Back of that FA Cup run, we've built a uh, there's a purpose built facility with three pitches and training rooms, and that's where the players are based. They only go to the game. That's the Cup run legacy that will always be there. So that's taken the football club permanently forward. Now I lived in Cambridge briefly when they went on their Cup run, and I think they got mm-hmm. through to play Man United. And the money wasn't invested in infrastructure the same way. And a lot of people, when we first came up, thought the cup run will be able to outspend everybody in League Two. We didn't do that. We still had a modest budget, not a, not a terrible budget. It was mid-table. We brought in the likes of Matt Green um, that summer, who I think did, if I recall, did really well for us. Neil Erdley, I think, came in that year. I think so, looking at the picture. Yep. So Neil Erdley came in that year. We had some good good signings. But we weren't outspending. We weren't doing what Mansfield were doing and Forest Green were doing when they came up and just throwing money at it. It was about building infrastructure. That that goes. That's partly the Cowleys were a catalyst. The the um, EPC, as it's called, the Elite Performance Centre, was very very much kind of part of what they wanted to do going forward. But it also shows really sensible management from Clive Nates and the board at the time. Clive's our chairman. And luckily, what we were able to do was then the following year, we were able to back that up by winning the Checker Trade Trophy, as it was. That's a much mm-hmm. maligned competition that people tend to despise. Actually, the money then from that was allowed allowed us to go into the next season and then mm-hmm. buy the likes of or bring in the likes of John Akindi. But you don't attract the likes of John Akindi, who was a, a relatively big sign in at the time and other players that we signed that summer, unless you've got the EPC, the training centre. And you don't have the EPC unless you've had the cup run. So actually, the, being established in League One now is fundamentally down to the cup run, which obviously then led to the Trade Trophy, then led to winning League Two. So it was like three years of success where the money just kept rolling in. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think that the experiences you had as Lincoln supporters during that season, do you ever worry that you know they'll never be topped? Well... Yes and no. In terms of history, they won't ever be topped. There's nothing I, I can imagine that Lincoln City could do unless we go on a massive trajectory that will beat that. I mean, OK, we're in the fourth round of the League Cup, Southampton, in a, in a you know, get through that. We might get to the quarterfinals of the League Cup. We might win the Papa John's this season because we're in the next stage. We might go into the championship in the moment any of those would feel more significant because you're living it. When when you're living it and when it's taking your club somewhere else, that always feels the most important. The day we beat Macclesfield in 2017, April 2017, to get promoted to the Football League felt way more important than anything we'd done in the FA Cup. Actually, in terms of our history, it probably wasn't. But football fans get their, kind of get their enjoyment not from... You know, you're not... If, if you go... If we get through to the quarterfinals of the... Um, whatever the cup's called now, Carabao Cup. So let's say we beat Southampton in the Carabao mm-hmm. Cup. That's a Premier League team. We will have won away. At the time, the fans that are there, that will feel as significant as Burnley away. There was only 2,000 fans at Burnley away. It's all we could have. It'll feel as significant as Ipswich. So I think being a football fan, it's I don't think it's ever about picking one thing and going, that will never be topped. Because if you're getting your small victories, if you're living in the moment, you know, a single goal in a game in, in March, like we beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-1 in the league the other day. 
in the moment, in that moment when the final whistle goes and you beat Sheffield Wednesday, that feels every bit as significant as Burnley or Ipswich. Looking back, of course it's not. It will be really hard for us to ever do what we did because we're not a non-league club anymore. And I wouldn't want to go back to being a non-league club and beating them. I'd take, you know, going out the FA Cup in the second round every single time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can understand what you're saying from a historic point of view. That will always be one of the seasons where you go, that's that's up there. That's one of the best ever. But I would just hope as a football fan, you know, you never think we'll never beat it kind of thing. Because, you know, there's always joy to be had from football. Absolutely. It is, it's great to hear, um, as I've said, all of what you've said there, Gary. I can't let you go without um, mentioning, well, you, you've mentioned the blog that you run, but also the podcast, the Stacey West. Um, that's how I kind of got in touch with you through Twitter. And it looks like you've, you know, built up quite a following among Lincoln City fans as well. Where can people who maybe haven't heard of the podcast, but where can they go on social media to find you and to kind of have a look at your stuff as the season progresses? Okay. Uh, so there's a few things. I'm on Twitter, which is at Stacey West blog. Uh, we do have a podcast, which is just about to join the TalkSport fan network. Uh, and I do wow. touch, I think, upon the FA Cup run. I actually wrote a book. Um, I was the Lincoln City mascot for 16 years. I gave it up. I actually did it for the last time just before the Cup run in October against uh, <laughs> October 2016 against Braintree. Uh, but I wrote a book about my experiences and touching on kind of male mental health as well. So um, mm-hmm. it's not an uplifting read, but it's called Suited and Booted and it's on Amazon. Brilliant. Some brilliant stuff. Sounds like I- I'm going to go and um, have a look at that after this anyway. Gary, thank you very much um, for your time and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Pleasure, thank you. Thank you to Gary. He was really generous with his time and I thought he was so incredibly knowledgeable as you'd expect for someone who's covered the club and been involved with the club for so many years. So that was interview one. Now it's time for interview two. This second memory that I wanted to revisit is also about an underdog story from the 2010s. In fact, there were a few stories to mention from that period surrounding this one specific club. That club is Wigan Athletic, who of course lifted the FA Cup in 2013. If there happened to be any Manchester City fans listening, I wouldn't blame you for switching off now, to be honest. For this one, I spoke to another excellent blogger and podcaster. He goes by the name of Charlie Keegan. Charlie runs Central Wigan, which he told me a little bit about after sharing some of his Wigan Athletic FA Cup memories. Charlie, thank you very much for coming on. We're approaching 10 years now since your team, Wigan Athletic, lifted the FA Cup for the first time. Before we get into it and um, how you won it in 2013, first of all, can you believe that a decade or nearly a decade has passed since you won it? I can't, to be honest. I was looking through my my notes before I came on and I was putting together all the years that we've had um, through the FA Cup. And then it felt like the more and more dates I was writing after 2013 going 2014, I was like, <laughs> my God, it's like nearly 10 years now feels a long time ago but it also feels like it happened a couple of years ago it's still we still talk about it quite a lot as a club which you're gonna for a club like Wigan who wins the FA Cup so no 10 years is a it's it's wild to think about we'll come on to kind of talk about the final because I know I want to ask you specifically about um 
beating Manchester City in the final. But what are your memories of kind of the run that you went on in that season to get to Wembley? Because I had a little look and I think every game other than the first one in round three, which was a draw, so you then had to go away for the replay, every game was away from home. So that kind of adds to the against the odds nature of it. Yeah, I think that when you play away from home you've and you're taking the travel and support, you're always wanting to put on a little bit of a show. And I do wonder if that, you know, put on a bit of a different run into the games for us. But like you say, we, we drew Bournemouth um, in the third round. It was a 1-1 at home. Then we went away from home and that just started all the away fixtures. But it was it was a really good run. I really enjoyed it when it was happening. And there was a moment around going into the quarterfinals when we played Everton, we'd just beaten Macclesfield 1-0 and then Huddersfield 4-1. Then we have to play Everton. You think this is really probably the first biggest team we've had to play in this run. So how are we going to do it? And it was a little bit cagey to start. And then we hit three goals past them in about three or four minutes. And it came out of nowhere in the game and it completely took the sting out of the game for Everton. They couldn't recover from that. Then there was the Millwall semi-final at Wembley. And you're starting to think, all right, if we can just beat Millwall, this is then going in. And we, we had a lot of good players on the run in. So Jordi Gomez was, it scored three goals on the run. He was playing phenomenal. He was always playing really well in our midfield anyway. But he was the one that really drove us. McManaman got his first goal against Huddersfield then got his second against uh, Everton. And then Millwall, for me, was outside of the final, the best performance of his of his run. McManaman was phenomenal. He's so... He's such a hard player to contain for any defence. And then we beat Millwall 2-0 and then you get propelled into the final. And it was all around, for me, it was around Gomez and McManaman were the ones that I thought were going to win us the game. Obviously, it didn't. They weren't the one that won it in the end. <laughs> you say there you went into the final, but you went into it as huge underdogs, didn't oh, you? Manchester City, they'd won the Premier League only a year before. Be honest with me, when you were going into that game when you got to Wembley on the day and walking down Wembley way whatever in preparation for it did you did you have genuine belief that you were going to beat Manchester City or or was it kind of a was it just kind of were you treating it as a free hit see I'm a dreamer so I I always think that when you get paired in a game what anything can happen so I just like to think of the sort of anything can happen scenario and we, we could win it but when you look on paper and the team that they had and the team that we had, and we were on the course to get relegated from the Premier League, we eventually did a few days after the after the win. But there was nothing in me that really truly said, we're going to win this. And as the game sort of progressed on and we were getting into the you know the nitty gritty of the hour mark in the game, I was thinking it's going to happen anytime. City so are going to go and score. And it's when you're starting to close in towards that 90th minute, you're thinking, all right, anything really can happen here. And whoever gets the winning goal, I think is going to be the one to win it. I don't think any team will recover from a goal now. And uh, when the goal did arrive, Ben Watson's header, of course, can you kind of describe what the emotion was like in, in inside Wembley? Is it one of those that is just really difficult to describe? I felt silent. I Really, there was no cheering because it was just what on earth <laughs> have I just seen Sean Maloney whip the corner in and I think before the corner I'm sure it was Callum McManaman won us the corner Um, he ran it down that right hand side and we ended up getting it and then Maloney took it and 
I don't. I, I will never understand the reasoning to this day why they put Sergio Aguero on the back post. <laughs> it's never made any sense. One of the smallest men on the field, and you put him on the back post. And Watson had only been on the field ten minutes. He only got subbed on after eighty-one minutes, and you know he gets up first, heads it over Joe Hart, and I mean Wembley erupted. But I was just looking at the field. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> how many times do you reckon you've? Well, it's a silly question. I was going to say how many times have you watched it back, but if ten years have passed, and I'm trying to think of how many how many times it would have replayed on your Twitter feeds and everything else, it's a silly question to ask that, isn't it? I bought the DVD. <laughs> got the DVD. It came on a DVD the year after, and I bought it. And then every year at, at Wigan, we have Ben Watson Day. So it's every every day on the FA Cup final win. We all we all like to celebrate it. So the whole Twitter timeline is just that goal. Dye your hair ginger. Do, do people do that? I'm sure. I'm sure a few would have done. <laughs> I'm sure a few might. <laughs> I had a look um, through kind of FA Cup finals of the last thirty years, and I think it's. Three of the last 27, only three have been won by a non-so-called big six club and Wigan being one of those. The other two, I think, were Leicester City and Portsmouth. I think that's the three. But hearing that, does that make you value it more kind of as time passes to look back on it and think, you know, you were one of very few teams to kind of break that trend? Yeah, I mean, it's always a, a proud moment. You see the graphics on on Twitter or Instagram or wherever, and it's like the list of all the, the FA Cup champions, and you see your little badge there amongst, obviously, Leicester and, and Portsmouth. So it is always good, but outside of just being a Wigan fan and having that proud moment, it just shows that anybody actually can win it. And this top six, they are beatable. And you always see that there is, there's always a team every year who goes on a great FA Cup run and we were just fortunate enough that it was us on that season and we we could go and get the win. But other teams will do it again. It's not always going to be won by the top six. So it's exciting to see who that next that next team is going to be. Certainly is. I'd love to see it this year, I have to say. Um, although still such a long way to go. It's, it's, it's hard to be able to pick out one. He might cause surprise, of course, isn't it? Uh, I wanted to ask you about Roberto Martinez as well, because he's someone who's been in the news over the last week or the last two weeks, of course, with his Belgium team kind of, I'm going to say, failing again at a, um, at a major championship or major tournament. Is he still held in quite high regard at the DW Stadium? Because as you've already mentioned, it was a strange season in that you won the FA Cup, were then relegated a few um, days later and then I know at the end of that season Martinez left or was allowed to leave to go to Everton so how could you sum that up how do Wigan fans feel about him 10 years on I think he's still held really highly and I don't think that there's anything that none of the performances that happened in the league can really affect that you've just won the, the FA Cup like we can't really you know tarnish him with the brush of oh we got relegated but you know, we won the FA Cup because if you look at seasons prior, we we were always the team that was the final day keeping up and it was always an exciting thing. And yes, I wouldn't want to go back and have to relive, you know, bouncing around the bottom of the Premier League and the threat of relegation every season because it, it's tiring. Um, but no, I think once you win the FA Cup, you do get that legendary status. And he did it for Dave Whelan and 
being allowed to go on and move into new jobs afterwards, I think was was good for him. I think going down into the championship, he didn't really deserve that. And we were at the stage where we needed to try and rebuild to get back. Um, but I, I don't think that he's going to be tarnished in any way. And I don't think that anybody in the club or in the fan base really, really will tarnish him. And I wanted to ask you as well, you, you kind of um, teed me up with this before we started recording, but in the years which followed the FA Cup win and, you know, the season that followed, you went on quite the run too, didn't you? With, with Martinez gone, new managers in. Um, talk to me about that, the, the following season, first of all. Yeah, so the, the season after we we won, we started out um, against the MK Dons. That was at home. And unfortunately, all of our games weren't away from home that season. So <laughs> we didn't quite have the same, the same bounce. But it was a 3-3 to start. And then we had a replay and we beat them 3-1. Then we played Crystal Palace at home, beat them 2-1. Cardiff away, beat them 2-1. And then it was Man City again, who we met in the quarterfinals. Uh, that was at the Etihad. And I remember watching that game. I was, I was watching it on TV. I remember watching it and you think again, it's Man City versus Wigan. It got held in such high regard on TV and it was, you know, the rematch everybody was branding it as. Mm-hmm. And we beat them 2-1. Um, Jordi Gomez scored and then James Perch got in. It was a, um, I think the ball went across the face of the goal and he slid in with another City defender. I can't remember who it was. Um, but he won He won the ball and, and scored that one for us. So it was the giant killing twice again. So <laughs> I quite enjoyed that game. And then we played Arsenal in the semi-finals. Uh, it was 1-1. We were winning that game and then Per Mertesacker headed the ball in. Right, It was right near the end of the game and I was gutted because the second final was in sight. And then we ended up losing 4-2 on penalties, which I looked to the penalty takers were. And Mikel Arteta took the first one. Then it was Karlström and Olivier Giroud took the second. And obviously now he's in a World Cup final. So there's <laughs> uh, a couple of interesting names popping up there. Absolutely. And... The Manchester City, um, you mentioned there, it was it was two giant killings in two years, and then you were drawn against them four years later in 2018. This one, of course, at the DW Stadium. At the time, Wigan were a League One club. Manchester City were still on for the quadruple at the time, I believe. Is it? Yes. You know, yeah, it, it, it was still quite kind of in the discussion. They were still in all the. Co- all the competitions, so it was perceived as an even bigger task to go and beat them. And Wigan, who were led by Paul Cook, is that right? Was was Paul yeah, Cook Paul the Cook, manager? Yeah. Wigan beat them once more. Um, Will Grigg with the goal. What what are your memories from that night? Because I I can remember watching it on my TV here. It, it was a big deal to be beating that Man City team. Yeah, and just like the you know the, the game before, it was labelled again as another rematch. And you think, how many times are we going <laughs> to... Every time we play them, it's going to be a rematch, apparently. But then we played them again, and going into it, I really thought, again, this is it. Like, our good luck has to end at some point against these. And our goalkeeper at the time, Christian Walton, it had a really good season. But you think then he's going to go up against Man City with Sergio Aguero and you know all the plays that they had. And for me, he put in his best goalkeeper performance of all time at Wigan. I think he was brilliant. And City just couldn't get through. And it was before half-time. Um, I'm pretty sure it was before half-time. Max Power and Fabian Delph were running for the ball together. And Delph just clattered through um, Max Power and ended up getting sent off for it. And there was a bit of 
Wigan players surrounding the referee telling him it should be a red rather than a yellow. And I think maybe that swayed the ref decision. I don't know, because I think he had a yellow out at one point. And then Pep Guardiola seemed to lose his head. Paul Cook was very good as a manager at getting into the other head of the other manager. And I remember seeing a clip where he's running down the tunnel and he's screaming at Pep and he's <laughs> screaming at everybody else. So he's trying to just rattle them. And then we came out and... The ball for the goal, it was Callum Elder, who is at, I think he's at Hull City at the moment. He was playing as our left back and he just hit the ball forward. And for some reason, Kyle Walker switched off. And I don't know why he really switched off, but he allowed the ball to run through. And Griggs, one of them players that would always just play to the whistle. If he didn't hear a whistle, he was going to run on goal. And he carried on. And they had Claudio Bravo, I believe, as the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. who was obviously the secondary keeper to Edison. And he was up for up in between their sticks. And Greg just hit the ball straight past him and Greg didn't even react. If you if you watch over the, <laughs> the highlights, he again like I was in the final 2013, he just stood there going, What has just happened? <laughs> it was the, the third time in a row we beat them, which was which was lovely. It's interesting you mention um Claudio Bravo, because he he was terrible, wasn't he? No, not to take anything away from that result, but um in terms of goalkeepers you'd want to be, I don't know, one on one against them. Just take a shot from anywhere against. I think he'd be up there. Um, and the Paul Cook video you mentioned, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that game got quite a lot of coverage on the Man City documentary, didn't it? Was it the, yes. the Pep no, nobody talk in the dressing room? Is that have I matched that up right in my head? I think that was the one because they were wearing that god awful purple kit that they had yeah 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 i'm pretty sure that was in in the video but i remember watching the man city documentary and that bit came up and i loved watching it just like (laughs) when obviously off the fa FA cup topic but Leeds united had their take me home documentary come out and wigan beat them as well in another shock and that was highly in their documentaries also i love it i love seeing all them little clips was that on the on the easter weekend when you went to leeds and beat them I think it was, and yeah, I think it was, and we beat them. I want to say two one. I think it was. Yeah, because I I can remember um that season. I I haven't actually revealed this on the pod, but my team Norwich were obviously head to head with Leeds at the time for promotion that season. I can remember being at a non-lead game and checking the Leeds score and being delighted with Wigan at going there and upsetting them, <laughs> like you say. Um. One more question then, to, talking this season, you've mentioned there, as you'd imagine, how how much um, how much you love the competition, the FA Cup, and um, how much you'd love to see kind of smaller teams winning it more and more. In terms of this season, the third round is only a few weeks away. How far would you like to see Wigan go as far as possible I imagine. Do you see it as likely with Colo Torre in charge? Yeah, it's always a difficult one for me because as much as I would love a really good FA Cup run, I also have to be mindful that we don't have the squad to really stretch a full championship season plus a really good cup run. So I don't want us to go out in the first round. I want us to get, you know, maybe to the the fifth round or quarterfinals or wherever like that. But I just want to see us put on a few, couple of good performances. If we get knocked out by somebody who clearly deserves to go through, then that's fine by me. But I don't want us to try and put everything into a really good cup run and then 
hinder our progress in the lead, especially when we're we are at the bottom or struggling around the bottom of the championship so far. But we play Luton Town first, which is their new manager, Rob Edwards, was heavily linked with taking our job before we got Colo Torre. So it's a two sides, two new managers. So that's gonna be gonna be a good game to watch that. A tough one to call for sure. But I think uh, as you said in 2013-14 as a championship team you made it as far as the semis and were a penalty shootout away from the final so there's nothing to say you can't go on another run this season Charlie thank you very much for coming on like I said it's great to hear your story surrounding it and um, yeah you, you can tell just how much you've enjoyed looking back over it I can't let you go without mentioning the Central Wigan podcast um, that you run what can you tell me about that? And also where can people find you on social media if they, you know, want to give it a follow or give it a listen? It's a newer podcast. So I'm only five episodes in at the moment, but it's all match previews, match reviews. are going to look into you know, the, the stats of the game, who the best performers were, what I'm excited for. Uh, we've got the January transfer window coming up. So that's going to be quite a big debate. And then it's just, you know, podcast trying to get as I'm going to try and get as many fans on as I can. Um, we had our first guest last time out with Noah from the Red Half of Sheffield, Sheffield United fans. So it's um, I'm enjoying doing the podcast. So I'm on Twitter with Central Wigan, Instagram, Facebook, and then I do a newsletter on Substack as well, which is straight to your email inbox. And that's just the article versions of what the podcasts are all about. So there's a there's plenty going on. Sounds very good. Sounds excellent. So yeah. Go over there and um, have a look at what Charlie's getting up to. Um, and yeah, best of luck with that Luton game in January. And good luck to Wigan for the rest of the season as well, because it'd be good to see you stay up. Yeah, I really appreciate you asking me to come on. This has been it's been fun to go back over the FA Cup. I've not I've not <laughs> looked over it for a while, so this has been fun. That's all right, Charlie. Thank you very much for coming on. Like I said, thank you. Some really insightful stuff said there by Charlie. I hope you'll agree. It was really good to chat to him. That is where I'm going to wrap this bonus episode up. Hopefully it's one that you've enjoyed. I really enjoyed having a think back and listening to two fans kind of go through the motions of thinking through it in their head and um, yeah, sharing some of their memories. I thought it was really good. If you're a Manchester City fan and you've made it this far, then quite frankly, I salute you. I will be back next week, of course, for the third round preview, which is already in the works. It's very exciting, um, the third round. It's one of the best things about the new year, I always think. Until then, as always, if you'd like to get in touch, feel free to. Twitter, you can find me at Pod um, or email Pod at gmail.com. I think I'm going to continue to repeat those at the end of each episode. So, yeah, if, if you feel like it over the next few days, then please do. But as I said, the countdown is very much on for the third round. Until then, I hope you have a very happy New Year. Music.